You're listening to Cowley's Instructor Podcast, where the learning never stops. Welcome you wonderful people and thank you for listening to Cowley's Instructor Podcast. Um, so today we have uh, Chris Benstead on the episode. Um, Chris is amazing. Um, I love the way his mind works. Um, I love some the way he can describe things different to other trainers that I've heard. And also he's excellent for if you have any questions in the industry, um, Chris is your man basically. So even if he doesn't um, 100% know the answer, he'll know someone who does know the answer. So he's, he's your man to go to. So any questions you have within the industry, get in touch with Chris. On today's episode then, so we, we talk about um, Chris's many hats that he wears. Uh, we talk a little bit about um, SEN, so special educational needs, um, and we uh, the competency we're talking about is about adapting the lesson, um, and we move on and discuss about the national standards. So an excellent episode uh, lined up for you. Um, hope you enjoy. So welcome, Chris Benstead. Um, I described you the other day with as the man with many hats. Um, so... I think my first question for you is, could you explain some of those hats and then which one are we wearing today? I, I often forget how many. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit like having multiple personalities as well, because they all have slightly different needs from depending on who I'm talking to. Um, I, I, I mainly say I get bored easily. So, you know, I, I like looking for the new stuff um, and... I like challenging things. So they, they all come from the same place. I have one title, which is I like to solve problems. So every single one of the things I do is about solving problems. So to, uh, to start with, I'm a driving instructor. However, I don't have a car, um, a tuition vehicle. So I specialize in theory. So that's my, my theory hat. I'm an audit trainer. So I train driving instructors. Um, and I work with instructors and training instructors, but a lot of that I do as people are training elsewhere and they get in touch because they've got a sticking point. And I kind of, I like what I call brief strategic approaches. So I, well, my business partner says I come in, throw a hand grenade and then leave people to it. But I like to think it's slightly more constructive than destructive. Um, and I kind of come in, look at where's the problem, help them understand what the problem is, and then give them the skills to go and fix it. Um, then we've got the DITC, which was the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, um, the signposting platform for the industry, and came from the fact that people didn't know what was out there, including me. And I like to think I know most people and most things that are out in and about you know things that we've got access to um and even then i come across things i've never heard of and they've been about for years um or i speak to an instructor who it's perfectly normal for them you know they 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 know it's there so and that can include associations you know there's people that don't know associations exist so we started up the ditc for that benefit so i'm i'm like um the tourist information center for driving instructors if you don't know ask me i might not know but i will know someone that does um and then I, i'm a gob on a stick it's the only official title i've got for it really um, so uh I, I i talk 
I, I do things like podcasts. I um, get a phone call from Sky News saying, you know, we've got a thing on tomorrow. And that's if I'm lucky with that much notice. Are you free? Uh, and then go, you know, go and talk to someone and try and inject a bit of professional insight um, into things like that. Uh, and then outside of the industry, um, so outside and inside, I do business coaching. So I support people with their businesses and I specialize in driving instructors because I know that industry so well. Uh, but I also work with an accountant, um, a travel agent and an electrician uh, looking at different businesses. And then um, uh, the biggest one for me, uh, although probably the smallest in impact, is my kids book which is available on amazon is there a monster uh which i wrote with my then three-year-old he's nearly seven in 32 days time he told me this morning um and that's a problem solving book for kids that can't sleep um it gives them the control it gives them the skills to go to sleep so it gives them a rhyme that they say to get rid of the monsters and they're not real monsters they're worries they're those sorts of things and I'm never going to make money out of it. It's cost a fortune to have it out there and everything else, but it was a really interesting journey. Um, and then as a side, side kind of note, I am qualified in clinical hypnotherapy and in the industry became known as the NLP person, neuro-linguistic programming uh, for short. Um, and I spent a number of years working with instructors on NLP skills um which i might revisit i don't know that is a lot of hats <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got a big hat cupboard it's... yeah um fair enough there's way too many there for me to talk about <laughs> um i i'm intrigued by the book and and i keep meaning to buy the book and i keep forgetting um so maybe after today's um, podcast i will i will go and get the book um because i think my kids will are at that age where they'll, they'll enjoy it um I think today, um, because you've got so many hats, I'd like your trainer hat. Um, partly because actually, and this maybe is me being a bit selfish, because um, I've heard you on on Terry's podcast uh, like for hours and hours of, of conversations. And actually, interesting, I think you two don't tend to go down that route with, with your conversations. It's more your industry knowledge hat and a bit of the theory stuff um and some of the coaching stuff um but yeah you don't tend to have that like he, he tends to sort of use other people maybe he thinks you're a rubbish trainer um <laughs> so um I yeah I think I want to dig into that a little bit more because I think when I have heard you talk about um things from being a trainer it, it's always sort of quite interesting because you have this sort of weird mind that that sees things differently um, and can explain things differently and I always find it quite quite an interesting perspective so I think we'll use that part of your 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 brain today if that's okay that, that's fine I have one question yeah is interesting good or bad oh, oh massively good yeah okay that's yeah. fine because interesting is one of those words isn't it it's <laughs> well that's interesting so, so it's said about the man who's walking down the road naked <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting yeah no I do tend to to use interesting as a good thing I I if I find something interesting it, it, it's a good it's a good thing good. Um, before we do that though um I'm quite I don't think I know your 
your how I got into the industry story, uh, which is strange. I remember we went for a meal before um, the VR thing, and you asked both me and 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 then we rude. Actually, I not rudely didn't ask. I deliberately didn't ask back because I was waiting for this podcast episode. <laughs> um, so, do you want to tell us how how you got into the industry? Well, that explains why I've been offended for the last few weeks, waiting for you to find out. Um, uh, so I my, my background was retail. Uh, when I was at school, I was a bit of a geek. I now know that I was dyslexic and no one had picked up on it because actually I was really good at coping strategies, which is something that I've carried with me. And that's why I've ended up where I where I am. Um, and, you know, I. I wasn't very good with people. I, I I didn't like people. I didn't feel the need to be around people. So I think I fitted that kind of geek um, title quite nicely. And I then got a job in retail. And I think retail should be like national service because I learned how to talk. A lot of people regret me going into retail. I learned how to talk and how to learn about uh, specific products or subjects because I went into a shop with uh, a, a woman who'd been on holiday for a few weeks didn't know it was my second week and expected me to know everything um, and she was a right cow we ended up really good friends and um, I decided you you either you know give up or you kind of take the you know the the uh bull by the horns and and that's what I did so I specialized in uh it was a stationery and toy shop and I was in the stationery department I specialized in inkjets and I specialized in the pens the top end stuff um Parker Waterman I hate Mont Blanc but you know those sorts of things um and because of that the company then liked me because I knew what I was talking about and the uh the staff in the shop who a lot of which have been doing it for 20 odd years started coming to me and asking me questions because i'd learned specifics i'd specialized I'd, I'd got a niche even though at that point i was a saturday boy and i was in there one day a week i then moved on to doing part-time and i was going to do to get a proper job um and and do a year's work and then maybe look at going to university to do something to do with computers but they ended up being training roles that I was going for, which was interesting. I didn't know about that at the time, but that was kind of the thing I was going towards. Missed out on the job that would have changed my life, which would was working with Nikki, um, Nikki Clark and Vidal Sassoon's um, salons, going around and tr training those members of staff on how to use their till systems and things like that. And I think that could have been a, t a totally different path for me to go down. Um, and then I became, uh, well, I couldn't find a job because I didn't have the experience and I didn't have the experience because I couldn't get a job. And the company that I was working for, which to give them a name check, they're now known as Lorimer's. They were JH Lorimer and they're a, a stationery and toy shop with, they had 11 branches and, um, they gave me a job as the youngest buyer for a privately owned multiple in the UK, as far as we're aware at the age of 18. Um, I was buying for 11 stores, specializing in art um, and the pens. Um, I love my pens. Uh, and yeah, I, I got to learn that I 
didn't like sitting behind a desk all day. And I, I did a number of years doing that. I hated being behind a desk. And then I uh, I got the opportunity to go and manage one of the shops, which was the bit I'd missed. And I learned that I didn't like doing that either. Um, but I loved being in the shop. And although I don't like people, I enjoyed selling. I enjoyed knowing about products. And I then learned it wasn't the people I didn't like. It was the burnout afterwards because it takes a lot out from me. I'm an introvert and therefore I end up at the end of the evening. I'm 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 broke. I'm I'm worn out. Um, whereas that kind of extrovert where, you know, people gain from that experience, I, I don't understand. <laughs> That's not me. Um so went from there to become a sales rep for a year because the company got taken over and then credit crunch hit and I was made redundant. And really, the answer to your question is I got made redundant. Um, but that journey was the journey at which I then looked at what I was doing. I was as a sales rep, they sent me on training and I discovered learning again because I didn't necessarily enjoy school. Um, I was all right at it, but I didn't enjoy it. Um, but I discovered proper learning by going on a sales course and they then said, we're not sending you on another course. And I, I needed more learning. So I literally stuck a pin in a book and found clinical hypnotherapy. And I was like, well, I'll do that then. Um, and I got halfway through that and then got made redundant and decided to become a driving instructor because my skill sets were, I'm good at training. And although I'm not keen on them, I'm good with people. Uh, my trainer looked at me slightly confused and he said, well, everyone says I like driving or I'm good at driving. And I went, good luck, because uh, I'm not. And I still don't. I still don't like cars. Um, it was, as long as they got five wheels, I'm happy. Um, and yeah, I, I you know, I, I kind of went into it because of the training. And and I think there's a big divide. And that's not saying there's right and wrong, but there's a big divide in the industry between people that teach people and people that teach driving. And I think that you've got those two sides of things. And it's a bit like my mum was 20 odd years with uh, five year olds you know, teaching in schools. And she always said they came in, they were either really good at the social or really good at the academic. And you never got both. And her job was to, to bolster the one that they weren't so good at um, and to build on that side of things um, in the way that I hate education because you have to be good at what you're not good at. Why? Just be really good at the stuff you are good at. I think that's a much better way to do it. But uh, it's not what CPD is about, is it? <laughs> but but we, we can always learn more, but actually focus on your skill, skills and strengths. Um, and that's what I saw the skills and strengths of a job are, because you don't drive. <laughs> you no. know? Not very often. <laughs> it, it's, 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 you're sat there and you're talking about stuff, but you're not really talking about driving. You're talking about the person. Uh, that's how I see it, but I would do because I'm the person type of person, not the driving type of person. So um, so I then decided to finish off my hypnosis training because I thought that's a brilliant thing I could to, to partner with driving. Forgetting it would just be like a massive legal situation of putting people in a trance while they're driving down the road. <laughs> um, and and then I discovered NLP and and kind of ran in that direction, which is awesome, and everyone should investigate because it is 
it's such a brilliant model to run alongside being a driving instructor. Maybe someone should do a course about it. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. It's one on the shelf. <laughs> it's one on the shelf. We, we're looking at it actually. So watch this space. You never know. I'm intrigued that you, when you said about the not liking people, but liking the, the sort of kind of on the floor selling to people. And and I wonder actually if that there's an element of the problem solving in that is it is that you were solving a problem for for someone um even though you are selling to them but you're you're trying to sell them the correct product so i wondered if there was an element of that in there yes and 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 that's when i say selling it's never hard to sell it's what 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 are your needs what is the benefit of the different things um i've i've never brought a 100 pound pair of trainers i i don't need them um if i was a runner and anyone who's seen me clearly knows I'm not, um, then I I would I'd see the value in it. But I don't need that. So I would as happily sell a 20p Bic Biro um as I would a you know 200 pound Parker pen. It depends on what the person wants. And and that for me, that's the same in the car. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's individual. I do like this idea as well of um I suppose instructors being either driver or or people related and i suppose again it's probably on a spectrum um and you said a little bit about like specialize and and be good at what you like be better at what you're good at but i think because we're in the car one-to-one and you can't pass off the other stuff to other people there probably is an element of yeah instructors need to be good at both don't they really and so it is that's where you see them if we look at the big picture driving instructor running a a school even if you're just on your own you know you're you're running a business sorry um so as an in, even if you're with a franchise you you're still self-employed so actually if we then break that down into the bigger picture get an accountant um get a a, a VA to do your paperwork and deal with your emails you know look at outsourcing stuff because do the stuff you're good at and actually, you can then make more money that way. Um, I, I agree. In the car, in that role, yeah, you're, you're kind of kind of stuck. Um, that said, you can always outsource theory training. Um, <laughs> drop that one in there quick. But uh, but yeah, if you look at the bigger job role, specialize. You know, be be good at being good. Yeah, there is also an element, and you're absolutely right. You could outsource the the theory training to some excellent um theory test explain people um the but you can actually probably do that with other stuff like there's there's people out there that would quite happily do zooms on um your pupils psycho psychology of, of driving and helping them um through that so that they can come to the lesson saying this is what i want to put into practice if you're if that's not your wheel bag you yep. could outsource that um and i suppose as well actually and I, I wonder if instructors maybe could do this a little bit more and, and maybe they do. I don't, I don't hundred percent know. I know in my area, it happens occasionally where you have a pupil who maybe has particular needs or is particularly anxious or struggles and, and, and you and send them on to an instructor that does specialize in that um, side of it, um, who, who might be a better sort of kind of place to, to deal with that. And it's not for everyone. I don't, um, I wonder if instructors sometimes feel, feel that they're, they're failing that pupil by by not not passing them on but actually they're probably doing the opposite they're doing them a service yeah 
Absolutely. I remember when I was first starting out, um, I think it was probably still with BSM because I trained trained with BSM and I, I, I felt like I was failing because that pupil was really struggling with manual with no diagnosed reason for it. Um, so, you know, why wouldn't they be able to? Um, and I had a chat with a guy who I've recently bumped into. Um, his grandkids are at my kid's school. It was really weird because I walked up to him and went, is your name Zippy? And he gave me a very strange look because that's what we always called him as a driving instructor. And he um, and he he said, move them to someone that doesn't talk as much. Which I took as an insult for a, for a, a little bit. But I realised actually their specific need was that they were Russian. And I talk too much for someone whose language, your know, first language isn't English. I adapt much more now, but then, you know, I was very green. Um, and yeah, it, it, that was one of my learning moments was going, you can't be all things to all people. And I'm, I'm guilty of trying to be on occasion. Um, but I, what I've learned is it's just as good to be able to say, I know people that can help absolutely and and even from a business perspective actually you'll you will find that that person may go away and then absolutely love this new instructor but they'll give you some kudos for saying like yeah. you quite often get that message back saying oh really thank you for sort of kind of setting me up and um and they may even recommend you to to their pupils that don't have this special like um need or um or they may recommend it doesn't matter it's like and and that instructor might send might because that instructor who maybe specializes in whatever he's special they specialize in might not want some of the inquiries they get because they're like no that's not my speciality so yep. they might pass it back so it's all kind of like works works well from a business perspective um as well i can imagine that you're a nightmare to teach <laughs> but I think you'd also be one of my favorite pupils because <laughs> in, in that same same sentence because I I love a pupil who thinks differently because you learn from them and it, it they yeah they're my favorite sort of pupils that that challenge me and ask me to explain it or want to explain it themselves in their own little way and and how it works um and a pupil that's that's engaging like that is yeah i'm just like yeah i'll have that pupil please <laughs> send them over there's a, there's a real um problem isn't there with human problem with the fact we don't like being made to feel stupid and you have to go into it with that um the willingness to learn and and have that really open thing of going, you know, no one's trying to make me feel stupid. If I feel stupid, it's because I feel stupid. Um, but actually, what I can do is is not feel like I'm perfect or complete, and be open to all of that amazing stuff. And assume again, a really early learning of mine was sat in the test center. We all think we're gods of our own cars. There's a there's a real danger there that, you know, because we're the as you said, we're the only one there and, and we end up having to do all of these things. So we decide what the best technique is, what our preferred technique is, and that that's the one that everyone should use in a way. Um and sitting at the test center, and I was chatting away with with an ADI, and 
made some big bold statement which i know is not like me at all um and i discovered that there were just two adis really new to the job one was a doctor previously and the other one was a lawyer now in that room i was the least educated person <laughs> absolutely by a country mile um and it taught me never to assume never assume the background of of somebody um you know it yeah and 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 i that's one of the things i love about the industry is there's so much expertise from other areas that people draw in and we should embrace that more i i don't know how but we we should we should really have you know these specialisms outside of what we do to help with if you've got a pupil i love teaching physicists i was never good at physics i had a rubbish physics teacher i had to get a get a tutor for physics i went from a u to a c with a tutor uh, in my A level, and um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just I enjoyed it, but I didn't get it. And then after leaving school, I kind of discovered uh, I discovered the Infinite Monkey Cage, and that was uh, a brilliant podcast um, with Brian Cox. And I just started loving physics, and I, I just absorbed as much as I could, and then realised we teach physics for a living. That that's the job is you know it, it stationary cars don't crash that's physics you know <laughs> it's, so it it is it was it's really interesting and then i've taught a number of graduates um i taught a uh, i've taught two nuclear physicists um uh two physics teachers and most of them have turned around and said that i do have i have physics understanding it's my own version of physics that's the problem but that they can see where it's coming from. Oh, that's fine. That's my approach to life, as long as it kind of makes sense. And those specialisms, if you're teaching someone who's who's doing a specialist subject, if we knew who we could ask of, you know, um, knowing that, you know, ex-instructor used to be in the army and you're teaching someone who's ex-army, have a chat with that instructor and gain some technical insight or just language that will make sense to them because language is how we communicate with their pupils most um you know it find the the common language um and and that might be uh, I i've taught in the past a lot of people from the traveler community they have their own way of speaking and if you understand it it makes so much more sense um some of my favorite pupils um and some some of them are the most challenging as well um but uh e equally to say that the the graduates from oxford and cambridge who you know at the end of it will kind of thank you for being able to do something on their level i'm so not on their level but you know if you if you have the language right the rest of it works yeah no i 100 percent. i think it's you you said about being the, the god in your own car and i think actually that's probably one of the biggest challenges we have is to not be um and i i changed had a a new pupil this week and i haven't had a new pupil for a while uh because i've been sw slowly dwindling them dwindling them down but this pupil um their mum like specifically sort of asked for someone experienced um and the pupil has autism and so i was like yep this is this is my jam let's go and um so we i i sat in the car and actually and and i wonder if again 
there's the element of the the special need the special educational needs and the the fact that they said they had autism maybe highlighted this for me but it, I'm, I'm sure i would do this for any people that they get in my car is you might know driving but they know them that that's always my sort of kind of thing they are the expert in them and so we spent the first part of that lesson trying to find out what works for her and actually it very it ended up being quite alien lesson for me because it was very much against what I normally do. So um, MSPSL, for example, and, um, I did a video on this uh, a while back and stole your look, tell, do um, idea. I know you desperately tried not to replicate look, tell, do. And it was, I loved the fact you, I, it was almost painful watching you trying not to, because I could see, you know, that you, that you wanted to represent it in your way. And I think you did a brilliant job of it. And unfortunately, because then it's on the same kind of approach, isn't it? It, it almost seems like semantics, just that, that, that you change it. Yeah, but it, it isn't. And and it's because the, the model is the model. It is MSPSL. I think actually I don't, it, the reason I did that is because I don't actually teach, look, tell, do. I don't tell my pupils, look, tell, do in the same way. I don't tell my pupils MSPSL. I just do the thing which ends up being more look tell do than mspsl because mspsl is a bit rubbish um however i i i spoke to this this pupil about this and she had said that she very much liked a process she likes things to be a certain way and if i give her a set of routine to do um it works for her and she can do it and also there was another element of the thing that she was talking to me about where she her mind just goes off so for example at one point we were driving down the road and she was like oh birds and we were approaching a roundabout and she just it, it's not like all oh, birds back to driving it's all oh, birds they are my world right now yeah and i'm like whoa roundabout, roundabout. <laughs> um, and so we use the the mspsl and we used the fact that I needed to keep her focused. So she ended up talking herself through MSPSL really, really, really well. And But it felt alien to me because I don't teach MSPSL. But that's exactly the point. The point is, is it's not about me. It's about yeah. her. And so that lesson became a weird lesson for me, but the perfect lesson for her. And I think that's something that, that instructors need to sort of be really aware of is that it doesn't matter that 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 was special educational needs that that's any pupil give them the menu give them the options and and find out what works for that pupil do you think because of the labels that you were given it made it easier because you go in going i'm going to have to do this differently or in their way because they it they are a defined version of them it's not that it almost feels like they're not as flexible, which anyone who's worked with ASD pupils, you know, no, they're not as necessarily as flexible. Um, but, you know, it's part of what comes with it. So because you go in expecting that, that it almost makes it going right. Well, we're, we're doing it. We're doing it in your way from the outset rather than let's start with my way and then we'll adapt it as I learn more about you. Um, I, I would probably do the let's do it your way from the start with any people i think probably what made it easier is because she has been through this process of learning about herself um because getting a diagnosis 
I think she was she was more aware of how she likes to do stuff. So that's probably the bit that made it easier. I think if you go to someone who has just sort of blundered through life and hasn't got any special educational needs and it's just sort of kind of sitting there in the middle, they've not really necessarily assessed how they've learned. They've just been always done it how they've been told to do it and it's been fine. Um, so that's maybe where you do have to then sort of, well, let's try this and see what works and then... And then you find out, okay, that's not quite working for you. Let's try this. Um, and so, yeah. yeah you, you start from that central point because it's what what is generally the best one for the most people. Yeah. And, and then work outwards rather than starting with, you know, being, right, we'll do it in this way. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I always go back to cooking. It's, it's one of my favourite analogies using cooking and knowing that you're an ex-chef. <laughs> I'm sure you still cook, but yeah. but it's that thing of, you know, when my other half says, you know, what shall we have for dinner? She doesn't mean that. She means based on the ingredients that we have available to us, what shall we have for dinner? And having a diagnosis gives you a better idea of what the ingredients that are that are available rather than having to open the cupboards and have a look. So so you're saying that the the, the person that has a diagnosis has already looked in the cupboards yes or although um often they've been shown what they can't do and that's the thing for me about diagnosis diagnoses whatever the correct one is um is that you get told you've got this condition and the bad things are this 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 is what you'll be bad at not so let's take dyslexia as a, as a brilliant example, because I sit in a room most months with a group of people who are dyslexic, who have all had a different journey. Half of the room are what I privately title negative dyslexic. And what that is, is that rightly or wrongly, their dyslexia has a massive negative impact on their life and they haven't found how it will benefit them in a lot of ways and then the other half are the positive ones that have found that they can be creative or they can work around stuff every time I have these conversations I go how the hell was I not diagnosed um so you know it, it it's those it's that thing of there's there's pros and cons to everything but with a diagnosis you're very rarely told you'll be a brilliant manager because you're good at identifying strengths in other people you know, you'll be able to short circuit systems. So where people are going, this isn't working, you'll go, well, why don't we try this? Um, and again, that's my solutions approach is it comes from an ability to go, well, let's look at it from a different angle. Let's see it in a different way. Um, and and I think that, yeah, you, you, you kind of, um, if you get your pupil that you know nothing about, it's a lucky dip. You're going to, you know, pull out a technique one that you use and see if it works whereas um arguably we could have two boxes of lucky dip we could have a boys and a girls because actually we know that boys and girls learn differently so we might teach boys and girls a bit differently but if we end up with smaller subsections of lucky dips where we've got the one for all of the lovely uh, autistic people um they're my favorite pupils absolutely um still with the theory you know that 
I learn more from them. I'm sure that's what it is. Um, we've got the box of these are the ones, you know, that are most likely to work. So we've kind of siphoned it down a bit. And I think that actually will bring us on to what we're going to talk about later with the national standards, because mm. that unit that we're going to talk about actually incorporates a lot of what we just mentioned. <laughs> um, so let's move on um, and talk about our competency for this week um, as we're working our way through them. Um, so this week's competency is, was the lesson plan adapted when appropriate to help the pupil work towards their learning goals? What does that mean to you, Chris? So the the two big things that stand out in there is the adaptation, change stuff, um, and you know, I always say plan to change the plan. You know, have an idea of where you're going, but expect to change it. You're looking for your first opportunity to change it because then you're open to change. And if you're open to change, you won't get those blinkers on. And then the the pupils' learning goals and and needs, you know, that that learning focus of that pupil, being it's theirs, very much about being theirs, and about how are we best going to get through that journey? How are we going to offer the best support? Because that's what the adaptation is about: is are we delivering the best set of skills for ourselves, our own skills, um, and and then and then we're working it through. It takes you back to though that the the initial um, competence um, competency, uh, which is the the uh, being aware aware of the goals, having a goal in the first place. If you haven't done that bit first, then this bit is going to fail miserably because you're not going to know what you're doing. Um, it's locking people in. There's a brilliant. I'm a. I'm a I didn't mention amateur magician. Um, so I've done magic for years. Um, I know lots of magicians and uh, I'm not very good at it, but I know how it's done. And that's what I like. I like the mechanics. Um, Quite a big hat because you need to be able to fit rabbits in it and stuff. So. <laughs> and, and doves. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the other one I didn't mention was falconer. But anyway, um, so uh, I thought I need to keep it a little bit niche. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, non-practicing falconer. But um, <laughs> what was I talking? Darren Brown. Darren Brown did a brilliant experiment uh, in the way that only Darren Brown can, where he locked people in a room uh, with stuff, and there was a counter that went up, and they had to try and get the figure out how to make the numbers go up. So it was about superstition and creating habits. So they were, they were, they'd suddenly try and replicate what they did before. Spoiler alert, skip forwards, you know, 60 seconds if you don't want to hear. Um, the timer just went up randomly. Nothing to do with, and I think we have this as, as instructors in the car. We think that our, our, our action has a reaction with the pupil when actually if we sat there and kept them safe, they'd learn to drive. We, we're not as valuable as we think we are. Um, we need to be. That's our job. Our job is to make ourselves valuable in a way of, of find, finding how we can, can best support that, that learner and their, their outcome, which is 
being able to drive at what level that driving comes in, whether it's DVSA minimum standards or whether it's about safe driving for life, which is just a bit cliche as a phrase, or whether it's about actually never crashing inside their lifetime and being as safe as they can be, you know, wherever that driving is, that's a separate conversation, possibly the one we're going to have next. But um, the, you know, that's their goal. So whatever that goal level is, ours is the adaptation. Ours is is the the working with them. I think the hardest part of that competency is knowing when. When do you change the plan or when do you ignore it there's a danger ignoring it you've got someone on the back seat uh on the on a part three on a standards check looking at you as to you know they're judging aren't they that's one of the problems so i always say it's good to verbally put a pin in it acknowledge it and put a pin in it and say it's not affecting our current goal it's fine it's not affecting our risk so we can put that in a pile for another day or we can change the plan totally. Which one? Which way are we going to go? But you don't have to ask their permission. You can make a judgment call, but you should have their awareness of it. Because it might be something they're not aware they're doing and they can just fix themselves. Because as an instructor, just being sat there keeping them safe will get the job done. And that's where you hear so often um, I must be doing all right. I've got a really good pass rate, which translates to my pupils are reaching a minimum standard, minimum standard, and that is good enough. And therefore, what can we do to make to improve that, to actually make that that higher? And the way we can improve it is by seeing the best path. Also, by challenging what that goal is at the end of things. But making it relevant, achievable, I hate a smart goal, but it blooming works. Um, but I figured it out the other day, for me at least. I don't know if this translates. I don't, I'm not aware that I've said this out loud yet. Um, but yeah, so smart, smart goals are um so specific, uh, measurable, spelling it in my head, um, achievable, realistic timed or words to those of that effect because there's variations on it forget goals make them tasks you are giving a task to someone else then smart works really well if it's a goal why are you stopping me shooting for the stars i don't want it to be realistic i've never got anywhere in life with a realistic goal I've wanted to be really good at everything that I take on and I don't always manage it, but that's not going to stop me wanting it. You know, arguably, maybe if it was a smart goal, I'd have achieved more, but you know what, what am I not achieving? You know, if, if, if I, if I decide to, to buy something from you and I say, well, tell you what, I'll give you 50 quid for it. And you go, yeah, lovely. Thank you very much. I'm going, why didn't I say 30? <laughs> it, it's, it's finding Finding that, you know, if, if we put a cap on it, we've put a cap on it. And I think to link the two together, that's where minimum standard safe driving for life, you know, best driver ever. That's where there's a danger that we put this cap on it. 
either the cap by the DBSA of going, well, you've only got to reach this level or the cap by safe driving for life, because that's what we think it is and those things. So specifically with that competence, it's choosing whether to adapt it and having the focus so we know whether it needs to be adapted. And that is nothing to do with that competency. It's actually about, have you set the goals? Have you agreed how you're going to work? It's all the stuff above it and, and below it. Yeah, above it and below. It's, it's all the other competencies. That that one really kind of is, a, is just a pivot point of are you doing your job properly? Yeah, it's interesting that this competency is probably the one that causes the most problems, I think, throughout the whole the whole test in that people do get a bit blinkered and don't don't um, adapt. Um, and then that sends a snowball effect down the whole of the competency sheet because you're suddenly now not identifying the needs. You're not um working you're not using um learning outcomes and and things like that so it it, it sort of snowballs and you said earlier about um, people struggle to know how to adapt i think you said um and i would also add that to when to adapt or maybe yeah. how much to adapt that's another thing i think people struggle with just just said you've just triggered a light literally which is what i'm about to say in what you've said about this being the competency that is um uh is sort of the biggest one i don't think it is i think it's the big flashing light that tells you there's things are wrong with the other ones and i th i think and I, I say i think i've just thought because of what you said um that that actually it's it is it's a big flashing red light it doesn't do anything it's the big flashing red light in the corner. And that's probably what the examiner sees. It's definitely what I see when I'm a trainer. I sit in the back and I go, you need to change something. What I really mean is you need to go back to the start of that timeline process. And it's, it's, it's you know, you, you are not Homer Simpson with one button and a red light. <laughs> you, you need to be taking an action um, and, and, and having a plan and, and doing more than just going, yeah, that's wrong. That's not enough. Yeah. I, I, no, I like I like that analogy that, that there's a big red light over there flashing, which is your adapt, adapt, adapt sort of kind of light. Um, and you but then you you go over there and then it, it isn't just adapt, it's what like what do I need to change? And yeah. and how and I do think how much do I need to change it? Because there's different levels of ad, ad, adaptation, I think. There's there's the we need to scrap what we were doing and go and do this thing because it's important um or there's a there's the we need to have one sentence to sort it out so the the example i always like to use is a mirror check um so you are heading towards doing roundabouts maybe and your pupil is not checking their mirrors or has forgotten to check their mirrors that is not a reason to go and then completely scrap doing roundabouts and head off and do i don't know junctions and mspsl and all that sort of kind of stuff that is the reason to have a conversation with your pupil find out why they didn't check their mirrors and you might find that it was just a brain fart and now actually from that point you've mentioned it they're going to be fine and they'll do the mirrors you're about to go and do a hell of a lot of mirrors when you do the roundabouts incorporate it into the lesson and build on it as you go through 
But the flip side is you're about to go and do some quite busy roundabouts and your pupil is approaching some junctions and is coming in too fast and or stalling um, and is really struggling with the junctions on the way out of the test centre and 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 that situation. Maybe now we need to make that a bigger deal um, and go and find like let's go and sort this out before we go to the roundabouts because it's only going to get worse when we put a big roundabout <laughs> into the scenario. So I think that's my sort of theory behind like how much do we adapt um in in those scenarios and, and knowing when to but a lot of it for me in this i don't like talking about faults but i think with this competency if i if i really had a pdi just like last minute coming up to a part three struggling with this one i'm i i generally just go just fix the faults like if a pupil makes a mistake have a conversation <laughs> basically it's also your part three standards check is um is is a 40 minute window if you want to fix a cause you need more than 40 minutes because it won't have happened in the first minute it, it 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 will have happened you know at least midway through and at that point you've got to work with what you've got in your cupboard which is what 15 minutes left if you're lucky because you've also got to get back and we know that we're working on their timetable, not ours. Rubbish. Um, just turn around to the examiner and go, normally I'd go back around the block. But I know we've got to drop you off. Would you rather I did that after I finished this? You know, throw it in their court. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, they, they'll say it's not, but do it. I bet they, I bet they answer. Um, and I bet they say, no, let's go back. But you've proven your point then. I'm going to adapt, but I haven't got enough scope to adapt around around that subject um but i think also based on what you were saying um the question that i get asked is when do i stop every time because if you're asking yourself that question of should i stop for it yes stop when it's safe and convenient and you know you've that should be part of your lesson plan anyway of having a route where you can stop and you will be able to in a, a fraction of the amount of time figure it out give them the explanation was it a lapse or was, was it a deliberate infringement you know was it um that they weren't aware of 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 that or are they focused on something else and then you can go well let's make sure it doesn't happen again as you said fix the fault then once we've got shot of whoever's in the back um you know on a normal lesson Normal lessons aren't 40 minutes. I'm sorry. It's the only thing I disagree with of, of this normal lesson thing is I don't teach hour long lessons, which is why I promote chunking and, and doing everything in 10 minutes, because then you can adapt. You also don't start at the test center. <laughs> normally. No, but in, and interestingly, though, the, the part three or standards check doesn't start at the test center because, as we know, they're now not really looking at the goals and the risk bit. They want a, a recap. So I always say that, that you, you do get an hour. It's just they're only there for 40 minutes of it. Um, make use of the extra 20 minutes. You know, have that, have that. So you know you've got that plan and you can you can summarise it for them. But it's, no, it is, it's that thing of if you're asking yourself the question, where's the harm in stopping for a moment? You're allowed. It was during COVID they wanted wheels really moving. Now it's a pupil who can keep the wheels moving. Doesn't mean they will stop stop them and ask ask them go you know right just really quickly just tell me about what you got to do with mirrors 
yeah good you know you know remember do you want me to prompt you do you want me to to do should we be retrospective with it or or shall i go what are you going to check now for a few for the next few and then you know and then i'll back off and change the level of instruction because that's what that red flashing light is it's about change whether it's change the goal change the level of instruction change the um so you can't change the pupil. It's too late at that point. <laughs> Be nice sometimes. My most recent PDI uh, to have passed previously failed. Um, uh, and he will be listening. So hi, Rob. Um, uh, so he, um, his first part three, he won't mind me saying this just to let everyone know it's okay. Um, pupil totally went sideways. Totally different pupil in the car. And he knows now full well he should have stopped and restarted because that was the solution. Total restart because it was a different pupil. And as we said before, different pupils need different strategies. Same body, different pupil. Um, and second test, he did that. He adapted. It was the flashing light he ignored. So, so yeah, exactly that. Um, it just needs that sometimes. I, I was intrigued by this you, you said about um, stopping and I think you're right the it's a question I get asked a lot um I'm not a fan of what sometimes gets banded around which is if it was a serious fault on the driving test then pull over and if not don't because there's too many variables in that and even like you're sort of kind of like you you, you said about that you could just pull over for a, for a quick chat about the mirror and absolutely like but it, it for me it depends on what road you're on if you're on a long straight road and there's not much going on have the have the conversation if you're about to get to your first roundabout that you were planning on going to do then let's let's pull over first because stuff's going to happen at the roundabout you're going to get lost in it it's just too much yeah. so i think there's too many variables in in that conversation and maybe that's why pdi struggle actually on knowing when to and when not to is there's too many variables but it has to just feel right in my in my opinion it's like if it yeah. feels like you're you're going to struggle to have the conversation then stop that that's kind of how i go <laughs> is it yeah yeah i that, well, i think that's the thing though is if the very if, if the if the choice is stop or keep going and you're asking yourself the question stop yeah because it popped into your head and uh, there yeah con control the control the situation because that's all you can do is control it that's what they mean by this risk management thing is it's about making sure that you've addressed the situation if you're going i can deal with this while moving and you have a good understanding of what you can deal with while moving because a lot of people don't they think that they can i'm going to re rephrase that i don't care if you can deal with it when moving can your pupil cope with it because it's your job to be able to deal with stuff on the move so you're really good at that if you're not you're probably not going to be successful at the test that's the thing to go and work on yourself for your personal development can your pupil cope with having that conversation and it's a bit like trying to talk to a bloke who's watching tv women are much better at that having two conversations on the go totally stereotyping and you know um being binary and all the rest of it but generally speaking it's an evolutionary skill um 
it's the same as men have got much narrower vision, peripheral vision than women. Because the women were outside the caves looking after the kids and all the ones without good peripheral vision got killed off by by you know predators. Um, the men were out hunting. They're going to kill it or run away from it. So there is this evolutionary difference. Um, and we'll often see that in the car. We've also got the anxiety difference. The more stressed someone is, the less they, they listen and the less they can listen. That your hearing shuts down when you're massively stressed. So just because you're relaxed doesn't mean that they are. So stop. So more often than not, stop is going to be the solution if you're asking yourself that question. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. And, and I think then it's about keeping it as brief as it needs to be. But also, if that conversation develops, it's OK. Yeah. If learning is taking place, yes, then it's fine. Just don't waffle. I, my, uh, I, I have that issue occasionally. <laughs> so uh, my audits check, because um, if you want to avoid a standards check, become a trainer and get you know become audit and at the moment then you get an audit check instead uh, i don't think it's any easier uh, i just think it's different i was told role play wheels moving i didn't do any of that um examiner absolutely loved it um i was using look tell do which he refused to write down on my sheet because he said someone will put it in a book somewhere and i should get that written down um it's a bit old school for me i just stuck it on social media instead but um i don't claim to have invented look tell do all i did was put reasoning behind it and distilled it down so that it was as good as i can make it i i welcome someone coming along and improving on that because i love it when that happens but um you know just just breaking it down and having some reasoning and it making sense because if it doesn't make sense, I can't work with it. I, I like it when it makes sense. Um, but, you know, it it because they're giving us this model of how it should go, it's a human being who's looking at exactly as you said, Phil, for learning to take place. If they can see that happening, they don't really care how you achieve it as long as it's inside of the rules. And to quote Dr. Julia Malkin, MBE, um, one of the big lessons that she taught me long, long time ago now was any test that you are taking, know the criteria, be able to meet the criteria because you don't get anything for beating it. If road safety is involved, the better you are, the safer you are. Safety is the criteria. That's quite a scope. But if we're looking at a driving test or looking at a, a part three test, if you know that criteria, then you should be successful at it. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's part of why I want to have these conversations on the podcast is to help people have a better understanding of of the, the competencies. I think one more thing I just want to talk about before we move on from this is, and just maybe because people aren't maybe aware of this, because normally adaptation tends to be because something's going wrong. Let's sort it out. But this can also get marked down for when you don't adapt because it's going well and you just carry on doing the same thing and it just it gets a bit boring that, that that's how I describe it when I'm sat in the back of a lesson it's like I'm, I'm bored <laughs> like make do something interesting well, and at that point learning's not happening is it yeah you're getting into mundane repetition which there is a place for 
um, you know, it, drumming it in a bit, a bit of good repetition, especially if you have someone who has processing issues. So dyslexia, um, ADHD, although you've got to keep their focus. So there's a balancing act be done there um actual complex memory issues anything like that where you're trying to drum it in habits take a bit longer um but you can still be drumming it in and turning up the heat and and it's that that level of of things uh yeah ab absolutely and i think as many people fail for for that or or get marked down for that as get marked down for shooting too high and i think it's depending on the picture in your head either the volume dial or the slider switch you know it you need one of those controls that you can visualize of going what am i going to turn up what am i going to turn down we can't change the pupil but we can change two other things um so uh we can either change the um the the level of difficulty so we go from our quiet side roads onto more busy roads or change our level of instruction or style of instruction or both but we can't change the pupil and sometimes and we and we see this with from pupils and we see it because of the negative they'll be doing really well and then you'll up the difficulty without telling them and they'll suddenly feel like they're rubbish today. We need to be open and sharing about how, right, what we're going to do is do, we're going to change this. So what I might have to do is change my level of instruction to give you a little bit more support because it's getting a bit more difficult. And it's that seesaw in the car of going between, you know, how much help am I giving you and how difficult is it going to be? We do it when it hits the fan because you go on a, what should be really easy, nice little drive, you know, just we've we've it's giving us exactly what we want but we didn't know that the big learner relay was coming in the other direction and there were going to be a hundred you know driving instructors i saw that on a lesson i had the panic on a instructor's face they should have got involved they wouldn't have had the problem then but um it was it was an awesome moment of a hundred driving driving instructor cars coming across a roundabout with with another a learner sitting on an actual proper driving lesson going how the hell do i find a gap in this and the answer was step it up just say just sit here let them come through <laughs> you know it'll pass uh which is one of my favorite tom hanks phrases this too shall pass <laughs> it applies to everything yeah doesn't matter whether you're having a good day or a bad day yeah um i like you describing it as like dials um that's something i've sort of kind of used in the past um of i i I have this sort of kind of image that your a driving lesson is a bit like a radio, uh, like an old style radio, and that the weather keeps changing, and so it yep. gets a bit crackly. And your job is to tweak those dials to to make it a nice sort of kind of smooth sound, and and that's how I, I feel a lesson is. You're you're tweaking that challenge, you're tweaking your support, you're tweaking what we're working on, and you're just dialing these these tunes to get that that radio tuned in. Um, and sometimes that's a big, like you have to flip from AM to FM. And sometimes it's just a little tiny tweak of the the, the frequency. Um, and so that's probably what I think, actually, if you sum it up, adapt, adapt in a lesson, it's, yeah. that, it's, it's deep, like tweaking those dials. 
and, and what's nice about that most cars have got those in it yeah you've, you've got even if you go with with the heat with, with the you know the the aircon system of, of um you know going with that you've got something in front of you that you can use to to visualize that relabel them get some labels printed put them in the car to remind you that actually it's not fixed you can do something about it there is an action you can take even if that action is stop which you know i would use the hazard light button um as as a this this is our emergency button um we're going to stop and we're going to just deal with the issue that's my um ejector seat button for when i when i do want to change the pupil <laughs> So moving on, we're going to talk about the national standards for driver and rider training. And this next unit, unit three, is enable safe and responsible driver stroke, driving stroke riding. So, Chris, did you want to talk about this? Or uh, Actually, I'll tell you, before we do that, I, I just want to have a, a quick read of the, the first sort of kind of paragraph in this because i think it's quite it, it sort of kind of sums up what what we do in the car um so it says uh, this unit is about helping and supporting a learner to acquire the skills knowledge and understanding that they need to drive safely and responsibly throughout their driving career and i love that i love that little phrase driving career um this means that this unit is not just about teaching a learner to pass a test Instead, it is about developing a learner's competence and their willing willingness to continue to learn, continue the learning process beyond their test. Now, before I sort of kind of let you get, go into this, I think because you talk a lot about minimum standards and the DVSA being at minimum standards, and I get why you do that because of the driving test and um, even actually the standards check is, is, is I suppose minimum standards in that sense. Um, and that's what they test, I think, to the DVSA's credit. This is a DVSA document, and, and they have it there in black and white that this is what we should be doing. So they do say we should be doing it. I've had it from the DVSA that that's their answer, um, which is we do give maximum standards. That's the national standards. You know, that's based on be the best you can be. That's really what it's all about. Um, and about setting that, the 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 um it, it's it lays out the pitch so we know what we're supposed to be doing where we're supposed to be doing it and how but in a really good way it's it's still not the easiest thing to read if you're not a reader and i, th I think that's where we fall short as an industry uh, i've been fighting with the tso uh stationary office who do who publish the books uh, essential skills and such um for a long time now about uh the fact there's no audiobook versions i finally got told we'll buy it on kindle because it will read it to you <laughs> um it's been a lot at least a year of me saying why are there no audiobooks and they suddenly announced that as if i should know um but i, I, I could have told you that i i read the entire game of thrones um stories that way so it, it I never come across it because I, I use Apple all the time and, you know, it, it they tend to favour their own. You can, um, you can you can do it on an Apple device. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah, it's, it's just not one of the native things, is it? And, you know, it's you're either Apple or you're not. Um, but the they're really well written. And I think the same for the DT, um, uh, the DT1, the driving, driving examiner guidance. If you read the explanation of a manoeuvre on there, 
there's nothing more to say it, it just it is what it says um and i think the the national standards is exactly the same um for me the really interesting paragraph is the fourth one and this is how important and, and how well written it is i'm quoting dvsa which i don't do um unless i'm criticizing it <laughs> as a general rule um and i like i like the dvsa there's lovely people at the dvsa it's the, it's the the actual um machine that i object to um client-centered learning is not about the learner taking charge of the learning process and deciding what is going to happen instead it's about creating a conversation between the learner and the instructor that is based on mutual respect that's possibly the that busts the biggest myth that we've got in the industry which is the learner is in charge what would you like to do today and that is what unit three is about it's about enabling a safe and responsible um approach to to learning to drive that that's it so we maintain the risk we get we don't overfeed them so they don't choke on it you know um when my eldest was tiny we got the wrong teats on the bottle and wondered why it was throwing up all the time it's the same thing in the car if you're overfeeding them then people are gonna panic they're not gonna learn because they're gonna shut down they're not gonna enjoy it um and they're not gonna understand and and that that's what this unit's all about and and it looks beautifully at, at different ways of doing that the different parts of the process the one that might seem a bit alien is the the last of the of the elements which is um group based learning that's our fault we are missing a trick theory is a good example of it um you know we're doing things on a one to one basis all the time group based could be two to one Group base could be a WhatsApp group where you discuss things with your learners. Be careful of safeguarding. Be careful of GDPR, just to have said it. Um, but it is just making sure that you're trying to engage with more people and your learners are doing it already because they're talking to their friends. They're talking to their parents and all of those different stakeholders are part of that picture and that process. And then the other thing I love about this unit is it states evidence which we ignore because we know better and the irony this 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 unit is the biggest irony in the industry because it specifically states that telling someone something is not good enough because they will forget it they'll forget what they've been told and they will go back to their own beliefs educating them about it and discussing it with them and guiding them through it will help change those beliefs and therefore they'll take that with them and the irony is driving instructors who don't like client-centered because it's the newfangled dvsa thing since 1980 um the the uh, un unit three i don't believe has changed much since it was uh labeled with dsa so it's going back a while um it is it's it's the approach to it instructors don't like because they're being told what to do the essence of it is the opposite of that 
It's saying discover what your learner is bringing to the table and engage with them about it. Don't tell them, well, you can't tell me not to tell them. Well, why not? Because I'm not doing what you're saying. But you expect your learner to do what you told him to say. I, I, it makes my head hurt. <laughs> yeah, um, I, it, that that paragraph, it, it was my next one I had I had written down. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely a good one. And I, I also like, actually, that what you have just said about that they they explain this element as the the three other sections well four there is four and but there's three and then the fourth one is all three but for groups sort of kind of yeah. thing so that's the way they sort of kind of do it but they do actually explain that each element can't be done on its own that they're, they're part of a process together mm-hmm. um i think that thing you were talking about how um not so much like in my head not so much client-centered but more that people don't like coaching yes and and I think here what they are saying is a client-centered approach has coaching and um instruction uh, within it um and I I think actually coaching has instruction within it um in in that sense the because the coach would be would the instruction would be part of the coaching process in in that sense that the the person has decided or has shown that they need instruction that's that's their way of learning it's also if you go to a good coach who says i don't instruct i coach they'll set the table saying this is how we're going to work or that's not coaching no exactly that's what i mean yeah isn't it it's is that element of of that bit being laid out yeah so I, I just think coaching as a as the the word inside the industry has been so misrepresented, missold um, that I, I don't. I am a qualified coach. I'm I'm a qualified life coach, business coach. Um, I don't call myself a coach. I use the skills, but I am a conversational instructor. Yeah, I don't uh, like I... coaching as a phrase. But I like just the fact that they broke this down into um, so the, the the three elements are called. So the first one is create a climate that promotes learning. Like who doesn't want to do that? Um, so that's rapport building, really, isn't it? Um, and then explain and demonstrate skills and techniques. So this is that moment where you where it, it we are teaching a technical aspect. You can't coach all technical things because. Um, you could really push it to the limits, I suppose, and and maybe get the people to go and find the information for themselves as in in a coaching. And and that, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes in the moment on a lesson, it's worth you explaining or demonstrating a skill so that the people can learn from that. And then the final part is just coaching. And I do like that their um uh, description of coaching, which is this element is about engaging in a conversation with a learner to help them identify obstacles to to learning and strategies for overcoming these obstacles so it's just about finding out what's what's wrong and and finding a way around it like it it doesn't have to be this big scary word we can we actually achieve professionalism if we just say have a chat you know is that danger isn't it of of and, and and this is has always been a big thing of on paper driving instructors don't have a value you know the the 
if we give them the keys and a sandbox, a safe area, people will learn how to drive. They'll figure it out. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is the infinite monkey cage. If you give the monkeys the typewriter, they'll, they'll write the works of Shakespeare given enough time just by randomness, not by intelligence. Driving's not that complicated. It's what we say. So we have to find the value that we can offer, which is either to expedite the process or to manage the safety. It's perfectly acceptable to say as an instructor, what we're doing is sitting there and making sure they don't crash, making sure that a problem's not caused. Odd that that's on the part three in the standards check, isn't it? Main, uh, uh, mitigating that risk. It shouldn't be called risk management. Risk mitigation. So, yeah, those, those are the factors. Um, it, it's, it's just have a chat. It's, that's a balanced conversation, isn't it? It's where I've got stuff that you might want. It's me in my retail job saying... What are you looking for? What have I got? And do any of those things match? Which one matches best? Which one do you want to buy into? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think I, I heard a phrase the other day about um, your, it might have been Bob actually on the previous one, where his, his, your, your job is to facilitate a learning environment, basically. So you're right, people will learn themselves eventually. They might bash off uh, like a few walls and, and bounce off a few other cars on the way to learning themselves, but they will learn eventually. Our job, like you said, is to speed that up and keep it safe. <laughs> That's, yeah. that, that is our job. And and then a lot of the time, and I think this may be, and we had, I had this chat with Bob last week about um, what parents do better. And the... And I think sometimes as instructors, one of the most important things we can do is get out of the way. Um, we get in the way of learning sometimes by trying to force feed learning <laughs> um, and it, yeah, get out of the way and let them develop and find that information for themselves. And it will last so much longer and become, and it will probably come to them quicker <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's that long curve, isn't it? It's it's. Um, I I upset um, Mark Bourne from BSM uh, when he was at Cardington delivering a presentation because his his graph ended at the driving test, and he was doing a session about client centered learning, and I was like, that's not right. What we're looking at is what does the tail do after they've demonstrated a minimum standard what does that tail do now someone who has been purely told all the way through the drop-off of what we want them to be doing is going to be quite high they're going to find their own way they can mechanically operate because the driving test only addresses the level one and two of the gde matrix the the car and the road zip they can mechanically operate, but the drop-off will be how to then deal with it. What speed should they be going on a choice of speed? Not a legal limit, but a choice. Uh, and it's Road Safety Week. Let's talk about speed this time around. So, you know, it, it, that's a really interesting conversation for instructors to be engaging with this week because it's National Road Safety Week. Should we, should we guess the percentage of instructors that are actually going to engage when we're in that opportunity every single lesson to say, this week, there's a real focus on speed. So let's. What do you What do you think about speed? I, I I'm going to go with single figure percentages. 
I, I don't want to guess it's too upsetting. Um, yes. <laughs> because there's an opportunity. I nearly forgot it was National Road Safety Week, Breaks Road Safety Week. Um, um, so I'm I'm doing some work with uh, Joshy's Heart of Gold, which is a charity really close to my heart because uh, Josh was a young lad who got run over um, and killed uh, not even a quarter of a mile from my house. Um, and I have, I'm going to say the pleasure of working with his mum um, it feels like the wrong word, but from great tragedy, there's some amazing stuff happening and she's supporting people who are in a similar situation where you know, they're bereaved families and she's she's giving them enough money to get a takeaway that night so that they haven't got to worry or pay for the hotel room or you know things like that. Um, doing some amazing work uh, campaigning against the government. Um, also trying to get Epic Games, if anyone knows anyone at Epic Games, uh, have a word, trying to get them so that charities can have a skin on Fortnite and other games, um, that some of that money goes to the charity. So you you can go and, and support your charity that way. Um, and, you know, she reminded me that this week was Road Safety Week because I nearly missed it. And it's in my diary, but I, I forgot to engage it's so easy to forget to engage and just to go on doing what you planned to do that week, which fits in with everything we've spoken about is, you know, is then it's about making sure you're aware you're in the moment. And that's what this unit is about. That's what the competency is about is a it's, it's about having a conversation and a conversation is not, and we've all done it, where you're going to um, you're, you're going to ask for a pay rise, or you're going to um, you're going into a situation where you know someone hasn't paid you for lessons, so you know you're going into an argument, and you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, and that's not the conversation that you have. And sometimes they just go, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot, and you go, no, 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 you've got to tell me this because then I can have the argument that I've rehearsed in my head. I saw a great TikTok video of that where the whole karen thing and somebody went in and, and she said oh sorry uh, yeah well, you can have your money back and the the lady looked disappointed and she said oh sorry were you here for an argument it's like, yes please oh yeah and then so they have the argument and then they leave <laughs> and it's great i think some people just want 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 the battle um just with what you were talking about um at road safety week so this is actually going out the week after road safety week um so but yes. if, if you've missed road safety week go back and do it anyway um go go and have the conversations because um so i've uh posted a video yesterday um so actually again you go back and have a look at that i posted two videos actually one for learners and drivers on my driving school page and then one for driving instructors about how how we can have that conversation about speed with pupils and the other thing i did actually and i think i would recommend this to anyone uh, any driving instructor actually is i went to do you know the charity learn to live yes it might, it might be just quite local to me i'm not sure oh, I, I, you might have mentioned it that might be why that might, yeah so yeah. they are like um it's put together by the police fire brigade and so the emergency services and councils and things like that um and they go out and they go out and present to to like teenagers basically and i i went to the presentation yesterday and i would recommend all driving instructors go and see what these guys are presenting because it's brilliant first of all it's like it's brilliant it's based off research and 
and how people take information and how to change people's behaviors um so it's brilliant it's also amazing to see how the the teenagers engaged with it they 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 want this information and actually if you've seen how it's been presented you can then go have you been to a learn to live presentation or or whatever's local to your area um and and that can start some great conversations um with with people so I i would definitely recommend people to get out to those see what your road safety charities are doing locally and and get involved with 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 that um just a little story from from that day yesterday because i I, like it was a big crowd so i couldn't find this kid but i wanted to go and steal him and make him come and learn to drive with me um because he gave the best answer um so they did they showed this video of um a car car driving and actually it's what the hazard perception should be because it was hazard hazard prediction they paused the video just before the hazard and said what might happen here um and just before they paused it the the car coming towards us that was supposed to be turning right had just tweaked a little bit to the right like a millimeter um and a lot of them didn't spot it some did which was fantastic but this one kid put and and on the video there was mirrors as well so you could see your middle mirror and and wing mirrors at, 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 at the same time and this one kid put his hand up and said the red car behind me might be about to hit hit me in the hit me from behind because i'm about to break and i was like wow i want that kid <laughs> come here <laughs> come and learn to drive and 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 the guy giving the presentation was like was like oh uh no one's ever said that before <laughs> um, and it was yeah. brilliant because he'd looked in his mirrors when he saw the hazard and the red car behind was really close and actually it was interesting it may have happened like the the, the car might have just like hit hit, hit him from behind when they slammed yeah. on the brakes yeah. um, so it, i think it shows that if you have these conversations and and you engage with them, that that they that they want to, they want to know this stuff. Yes, and and every question you don't ask, you don't know what the answer is going to be. Hmm. So you know, and and it's always that thing of ask questions you do not know the answer to. You know, the difference between an A and a B is asking questions you don't know the answer to, um, because they're the ones that will give you give you something to work with. You know, finding that that nugget of of information that you can then adapt or you can throw back at them. Um, Just on charities, the other one is the honest truth. There's some brilliant um, fodder for driving lessons in there of a short video that you can then have a conversation about. And that's what we need are opportunities to open up conversations. That that's that's the instructor's job. All driving instructors use honest truth um so we all use it um and we did chat about this in with Stuart because Stuart's doing a bit of work with them mm-hmm. um and yeah they're, they're just, that's a, just amazing like if you want a tool that helps you facilitate those conversations then and it I get that sometimes for instructors it can be awkward to bring up these conversations I think or like just out of the blue so why not show them a video at the start of the lesson and go what do you think about that that's all you have to ask and then go with it and and it can be part of the lesson all the way through um i remember and i, I did tell this story on the, on the previous podcast but i remember showing my daughter this video about the seatbelts, and yep. then my question was who in your life would um would who who in your life might not wear a seatbelt in your car and and she said granddad and i was like my dad she said yeah granddad 
really? <laughs> so then we had to have a conversation with my dad about wearing a seatbelt because um, he'd never not done it with me, but clearly she'd seen him not wearing a seatbelt uh, in that situation. So it, it just opens up conversations and, and how you would handle that and how would you come up with solutions? I think it's my, um, after speaking to Terry about this, actually, it's, it's one of my passions is road safety. And and I was talking to Terry about it and, and he agreed and he said, and he agreed that with him, himself in this is we're passionate about it, but actually do we post about it enough? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> I don't put it on social media. So this is my, my new sort of kind of thing that I'm, I'm trying to push is that I'm going to be posting more on both my driving school page and my instructor training page um, about how to train, how to have these conversations and also from a driving school page point of view, like stuff people should know. Um, and I think that's the more we do that, if 40,000 instructors did that, it would get the message out there. The problem is it gets a bit preachy to, you know, quite easily. Um, this is the problem I've had looking at, at road safety week and deciding what to put on socials is it's all doom and gloom stuff. It doesn't really fit with my vibe and the way that I tend to work. Um, it, it can get that way very easily. I saw a lovely TikTok and I don't know who to credit because I, I, um, I didn't catch who it was, either TikTok or Instagram. Um, but it was an instructor who was recording a video talking about roundabouts um, and he got it wrong. And he ignored because he was busy in his commentary. He was stationary. You know, he didn't do anything dangerous. Just as a driver, he got it wrong. He ignored the lorry next to him. And then he went, oh, now I'm going to hold back here because that guy is really big and he's going to take up my space. And he should have known beforehand because it was there. But we're not perfect. And actually talking about our imperfections with driving is probably the best way to have that conversation. You know, drink driving. When did you or when were you at risk of it? Or, you know, talk about your real life and, and those things there rather than um you know saying never do it yeah because we know from unit three that telling them doesn't stay with them as long as educating and them making them think about it and my pupils will be able to tell you my my stories involving alcohol and driving i'm not putting them on a podcast um i will happily talk to any individual about them i'm very honest about my my history of of things and at no point have i ever deliberately broken the law regarding that um but i'm better educated now than i used to be um so you know they're all next day stories but one in three drink driving convictions is next day um so you know if, if you want that conversation get in touch um and it but it is have that conversation exactly that and and if these things facilitate that conversation and and if we can put things out there where they go i saw that video of you they've come to you not just because they need a, someone to sit next to them and keep them safe while they figure out how to pass the driving test they've come to you because you've said something that's interested them you know that that is the holy grail and if you want to know where your faults are in your driving get some kids in the back and let them comment on your driving because as you and i know they're brutal yep <laughs> daddy put your hands on the wheel yeah um, <laughs> definitely get that um so i think um before we 
Um, I'd like to finish with a top tip from from you. And I appreciate you've already given us loads of um, massive content. And I also appreciate that I forgot to, uh, I always forget to tell you guys, put you on the spot. But then I think sometimes that is the best way because you just come up with whatever's in your head at that point. Before we get to that though, um, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? I'm all over the place. Um, so uh, the best place to go and have a look, because you might find something that's helpful for you, is the ditc.co.uk. Uh, uh, you can find me through there or on Facebook or on the website, Theory Test Explained, theorytestexplained.co.uk, and find me through that. Um, I'm suffering the problem of not enough hours in the day. So excuse the website. Uh, but get in touch. The one-to-one personalised advice is much better than the website is. Um, but they're, they're the best places to contact me. But say, signposting platform for the industry. If you're looking for something, I'm a good place to start. Yep. Yep. I'm always messaging you stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you can, um, you can find me at theinstructortrainer.com or Cowley's Instructor Training um, on Facebook. And yeah come and ask me any questions i do one-to-one training and the i'm also an admin on lose pdi group and we offer massive support to pdis on there and it's a great place to make sure you're getting the right information and also it's a very safe place to ask questions there um, it's a super super supportive group everyone really sort of kind of helps each other out on on that group so chris what is your top tip for ADIs and PDIs? I think I go back to my almost my my fundamental rules, and it's a really good technique to to do with your learners. Uh, it fits in with everything we've said, which is I used to um, ask people to come up with their ten commandments of driving. So the ten real rules, because this shows you what their beliefs are what's important to them and give them permission for them to change as their learning goes on. Um, they don't have to be serious. You know, don't break the speed limit. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be that. Uh, one of mine is don't trust anyone with a uh, magic tree air freshener. Um, firstly, air fresheners hanging from your rearview mirror are illegal. It's an MOT failure. I don't think tests should be allowed to go out if you've got something from hanging from your rearview mirror. It's one of my genuine passions as a subject. Um, and then when there's examiners that have got them hanging, I think we should be able to smash their windscreen. No, I'm joking. Sorry. They. <laughs> no, I, I think I think there's this thing of you're going to criticise my driving, but you've got an illegal car. I will not respect you as much as I should. So let's all try and be better. Yeah. Um, but actually, it came from someone told me that uh, psycho thriller films, the killer is always the one with the magic tree air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. And I started watching them and, and realizing it was true. So there must be some kind of franchise going on, a bit like the church and Hovis. Um, so they've got this 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 thing of, of air fresheners there. And then I noticed everyone who cuts me up on the road. um had a magic tree or similar air freshener i don't think it's just magic tree it's not something in the smell that makes them bad um but they were the ones cutting me up and i noticed that if i saw them and kept away from them i, I was better safer on my journey probably because we're not supposed to have things dangling from the rear view so there it's a a clue 
towards someone's understanding and safety levels and and the choices um a bit like police officers will often tell you that a private number plate is a really good sign for pulling someone over they'll probably find something else from it you know um those kind of things the little clues we do them as driving instructors so um get pupils to to come up with their 10 commandments of driving um share some of yours and have some funny have some serious you know never letting the car roll back because in this country we we value clutch control um except for the automatic drivers uh we we value not roll letting the car roll back therefore pedestrians are more likely to walk behind the car whereas in countries where everybody rolls back a bit they don't walk behind the car in the first place they avoid it because they expect that so it's a lovely approach to figure out and get an insight into the the belief structure and 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 personality of and and thoughts of your pupil that you will be able to refer back to and if you can get them to really buy into it and they suggest they say something or something happens and you go do you want to put that as one of your one of your your 10 rules and it doesn't have to be 10 um it just sounded good being the 10 commandments um so you you put that in or you take one out or you add more so you end up with 23 um you know that will help you achieve an approach that is working with the individual um help you to to give them a learning that they're going to carry with them for longer and then that development is going to continue long after they've left you i love that um and i'm, I'm going to go and do that um so yeah i think this is my that's possibly the first top tip that i'm like oh I could do that because I've not already done it. Um, I think the the other top tips on, on all the other podcasts were great, but I think it's stuff I already did. Whereas this is where, oh yeah, I'm going to go and do that with my pupils. And I also hate hanging things from the mirrors as well. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for for, for joining me. Um, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. And um, I'll see you next time. Cowley's Instructor Podcast, where the learning never stops. Thank you.